Are you passionate about health and nutrition? Then check out the Nutrition Academy. They offer the most comprehensive, innovative, and transparent health and nutrition educational resource on the planet. They strive to separate health misinformation from reality. They give their students the resources and skill sets to think critically about what they read and learn. So you can use the power of research to make better decisions for yourself, your family, and the people you serve. The Nutrition Academy have kindly offered all listeners a discount for this course. So you are able to try it out for yourself with a saving of $50. Just use the code TNN50 at the nutrition.academy or follow the link in the show notes. Welcome to The Real Food Real. I'm Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist. We're shaking things up on the podcast and each week I am joined by our cast of experts, including Kirsty Worth, Phil Maffetone, Kale Brock, Ali McLean, Katie Pettuccini, and so many more leaders in the fields of real food, gut health, sports performance, holistic wellness, and optimizing your health, metabolism, and longevity. While you're tuning into today's episode, would you take a screenshot of your smartphone and share it on social media with the hashtag RealFoodReal? I'd absolutely love to know that you're tuning in. And while you're there, why not share this episode with a friend who also needs to hear our information goldmines and aha moments. Sharing the show means we can continue our mission of simplifying nutrition and showing the world that health starts with what you choose to put on your plate. Without further ado, let's dive into this week's episode of The Real Food Real. In today's episode of The Real Food Real, I am joined by Leighton Phillips, ultra runner and founder of S Fuels. You will learn why the company S Fuels was born and why Leighton is so passionate about a lower carbohydrate lifestyle, but the mantra of train low, race high, that we also follow here at The Natural Nutritionist. We discuss fasted training, fueling for long endurance sessions, race day fueling, metabolic efficiency testing, and so much more. You will literally walk away from today's episode with your training and racing fueling strategies sorted. While you may not be racing at the moment, you now have the perfect opportunity to practice this in training and re-implement when your racing calendar returns. Hi, Leighton, and thanks so much for joining me today. Hey, thanks for reaching out, Steph. Good to be invited onto your show. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really looking forward to learning more about S-Fuels, but certainly to set the scene, I'd love to just hear from you where it all began and, and what your reasons were and are for, yeah. um, for S-Fuels. Sure. And, uh, you know, I think, I think uh, before jumping straight into that, there's a lot of industry change, as you're well aware, and athletes in uh, Asia and Australia are well aware. Um, we were probably all trained in the 80s on the food pyramid model. Um, for myself, um, I was doing triathlon and cross country at the time. It was all high carb. In fact, one of the you know ways you would impress your friends is how much pasta you could <laughs> demolish it as sister or something like that. That was a very common 
uh, proof point of how much training you're doing, um, but how things have changed, huh? And uh, for us, we, I moved to Asia uh, out of Australia in 03, 04, spent nine years, actually, sorry, 13 years across Singapore, Thailand, and Hong Kong. And in Hong Kong, I started um, doing a lot of ultra racing. It's a big scene up there. It's just, just a really prominent sport in Hong Kong. And, um, you know, anything from a six day race to hundred mile, hundred K, 50 K. And then, um, we went over and did the ultra trail Mont Blanc a few times. And in that, in that course of time, uh, it became very apparent to me that, um, how the body was recovering in terms of speed or recovery recovery was not what it used to be when I was younger. And that was probably the first trigger for me. I, I studied naturopathic medicine um, that I started raising the question of what's going on here. When I started doing study, I was looking at a lot of work from Tim Noakes at the time, uh, more actually from a fluid perspective. Uh, but I began to read a lot of research being done actually by Ironman Group himself and then in a number of um, sports, sports uh, medicine uh, studies being done at the ultra races on gut problems associated with um, you know, simple sugar consumption during these races. And it just started to dawn, I think, on me that um, it just didn't feel right. And we, at that point, hadn't really even started double-clicking on the science associated with performance, with immunity, with inflammation. But it just didn't feel right uh, the more I kind of thought about uh, just how much sugar was being consumed. In fact, we wrote a we wrote a paper on this, and you know, athletes can be having you know eight spoons of sugar in a training session, and you only do the math by how many sessions they're having a week, and you start to see well, this can't be a good thing. Forget about just the raw performance that happens in training or in a race, but over the years, what does all that mean to the body? So. We started teaming up actually um, with Dr. Dan Plews in New Zealand um, and uh, I got in touch with some uh, manufacturing and uh, food compliance, food technology labs in California. Uh, we started developing, we went through I think 17 versions of our first product. Mm -hmm. It took us two and a half, three years to get something out that was meaningful. Um, and Dan was really our uh, our test bed, if you will, to uh, validate it from a um, usage perspective. And then, obviously, he was you know sitting inside of several of the universities there in New Zealand, doing a bunch of testing. Uh, sorry, a bunch of studies on heart rate variability, and he was also doing studies on low carb, high fat nutrition. So. Our real proof point was when we, you know, really teamed up then going into Kona for 2018 and we had run six months of, you know, use of the product in training with Dan. We didn't even have a race product at that time, to be honest. And Dan went into Kona and um, he ran 824, <laughs> uh, which was the world record for the age group. Um, it was actually, except for the male pro, it was the second fastest run time of the day of 2.51. Yeah. And he hardly uh, consumed that much um, 
Like he really didn't take much on the run at all. Most of what he took was on the ride. So anyway, um, you know, fast. Actually, at that at Kona that year, we we got approached by the agency of Dave Scott, and, and Dave, you know, was speaking to us. He had been engaged with you know classic high carb nutrition companies, big companies, and that was more than anything a real you know feather in our cap to even just be approached by <laughs> by Dave. Mm-hmm. And uh, but we ended up Dave ended up joining the company, and, and Dan has too, and. Um, they just provide a ton of experience as we build out, you know, a whole portfolio of products against living um, in a low-cut, high-fat lifestyle and then obviously training and then lastly racing. So very quickly, that's the story. Uh, a lot of devil in the detail under there. <laughs> and um, we currently have our uh, headquarters in North Carolina on the east coast of the U.S. and we still manufacture in California. Um, but we're shipping all around the world. We, we kind of, you know, ship and market direct, but we're right in the middle and kind of probably just reaching a maturity point as a company where we're starting to set up distributions, uh, distribution around the world with different uh, providers. So that's kind of the story of Estrial so far anyway. Yeah, well, there's more to be told. Of course, I'm sure there will be. But I mean, just for those that don't know Ironman like you and I do, like 251 marathon off the bike is so incredible. And a lot of athletes know this story because, you know, when Dan won the age group, it was one of the first times that we had that really solid proof around a low-carb, high-fat lifestyle and certainly what it means to race at that elite level because I'm sure yeah, you've heard yeah. it before. But, you know, the argument that we always get with someone who's gone low-carb is that they're going to get slow or they'll lose their top end. And that's a huge myth and certainly I always say if that happens to you, you're not doing it properly. Um, yeah. And so for Dan, like racing and doing an Ironman in Kona of an 824, is yeah such great proof. So I can certainly see the times or the the opinions changing since that race. But I'm just curious as to sort of your thoughts on that and and how how it's you know taking up and and how yeah. hard it is to move away from convention. Well, I mean, from a science perspective, there's been several studies done on it. But the the science is it's all good. But the proof points is I think the ultimate lab right it's the ultimate laboratory to really evaluate if it's possible um i would just firstly call out and from a philosophical perspective s fuels aligns to a uh live and train low and a race higher philosophy Mm -hmm. so um the construct of that is that we believe that your ability for consistent training blocks low in inflammation faster recovery by training and living low, um, that's where the base or the performance is built. And then when you come into a race, um, and we'll get into this when we talk about our train and race products, what happens physiologically to why we believe you should be having both uh, carb and fat uh, during a race. And we can talk about that. And it's exactly what Dan did. Um, so we can talk about the physiology of some of that and how we've you know, thought about our products as, as it relates to that. But you're right, 251 is a fast marathon, even if you just ran a marathon. Mm, um, yeah. Never alone after 100 miles on the bike. 
For sure. And I'm really glad you mentioned that because I'll admit when I was first um, made aware of your products, it's, it was by an American athlete that I um, work with from a nutrition standpoint. And I remember seeing S Fuels train and looking at the um, essentially the macros and thinking to myself, yeah. we cannot be racing on this. And obviously that's not how it was intended. And of course you guys have expanded your suite, but I think it's a really important point because in the space, there are still people who are either confused or trying to race without carbohydrates. And then that's another conversation that we're really trying to clarify. So we're not making these mistakes and undoing all our hard work of base training and training low, as you say. Yeah. I, I don't think um, like Dan and um, his team, our team, uh, we've been advocating probably against a straight keto approach to ultra-endurance uh, racing. Mm. Um, it's not that it can't be done, but uh, we believe, we don't know why you would not want to also oxidize carbohydrate and fat in a race if the body is set up well to do that. And there's, that's, that's the key is if the body's set up to do that. And you're right, um, the train product, I'm not just going to spiel on the product here, but when we say train as naming the product, it's not just in the spirit that it's a product to be used in training. The product is designed in the context of trying to train the body on how to oxidize fat in training. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, there's a nuance to that. And if that's your objective, then what you do in a product we believe is quite different. And, you know, we we're well aware of what some of our competitors are doing. Um, we think there's also a very broad array, like that no one's a textbook case. So there's a very broad array to how people react to carbohydrate. So if athletes are looking to go down a low-carb, high-fat approach to training and racing, um, I think you have to know very clearly how your body reacts to carbohydrate. Um, and, of course, best way to do that is probably a substrate VO2 max test um, at different intensities. And you can really understand that. That will have a lot of bearing, I think, on what you do in training and racing. Um, and without knowing that, it's, it's a little bit his, hit and miss, to be, uh, to be honest, uh, Steph. Yeah, I'm with you. I think data is king, obviously. And um, certainly it's something that we've been recommending for some time at The Natural Nutritionist and over at LCHF Endurance, but not everyone. <laughs> not everyone's still sort of doing it, I think, and we, we are still guessing and then having races fall. Well, it's not that cheap either, right? I yeah. mean, what is it in Australia to have A couple have of hundred dollars, done? maybe $200, yeah. but okay. some of yeah. it will be under an exercise physiology from a private health point of view. But um, so in my mind, that's not expensive at all, especially when triathletes are notorious for dropping wow. 10K on a yeah. bike. You know, so Spot on. <laughs> yeah, and you know, so we've you know we've jumped straight into performance. I don't want to just uh, detract from though what I think. If you look at the research on the DNF reasons on these races, whether it's Western States or Ultra Mont Blanc or Ironman or what have you, it's not because of um, you know structural joint problems it's not because of we ran out of gas the biggest problem still 
number one by far is gut problems mm -hmm. of why people are not finishing these races. And it's kind of interesting that you would think that even the professionals with the access they have to science and labs and testing that this would have been resolved a long time ago, but we still see world-class athletes like, like on the weekend here in the U S we just had the Olympic trials the marathon, uh, Jim Wamsley, he just ran 2.15. He's an ultra runner. He's 100 mile. He just won, won Western States. He's got the record there. Uh, he's won that several times. Well, you know, in his, he's had multiple attempts before he started winning Western States of um, completing that race and, you know, setting new records. But it was very clear that his nutrition and he was just having gut problems year after year. He ha he still has had this problem at Ultra Trial Mont Blanc. So again, even professionals with all the access they have struggle to get it right when they follow a high carb approach to handling these endurance sports. So we think aside from performance, and we can talk more about that, and we can talk more about anti-inflammatory nature of this, and also even if we, some really interesting data on immunity with this, but I don't want to detract from, I think that mitigating all that gut risk out of the equation so that when you spend, like you said, 10,000 on a bike, you don't put all that in a, in the bin because you get into the run and you just collapse because your gut's not holding anything. And mm. it's very common. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And avoidable. <laughs> yeah. We wrote a whole paper on this called the ultra gut, um, it's up on our blog site. I can give you the links later, Steph. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, we go through the science of all the factors. It's not just fructose and glucose, but it's what happens at the gut membrane. It's what's happening with dehydration. And it's just like this perfect storm of why you start having these issues. And um, anyway, it's probably the most downloaded <laughs> paper on our site because mm -hmm. it's clearly that a lot of people have this issue. Yeah, absolutely. I think, again, like if people, yeah, DNF, is, if it's the number one reason why people aren't finishing, surely it is, you know, time to change that convention. And you guys are obviously doing an amazing job of sharing the research that, so that we can stop falling into the trap of believing what we've always known. Like there's a real issue yeah. with people um, that cognitive dissonance of, of changing because yeah, in certainly in Ironman space, it's been pasta parties and just like you say yeah. that going to Sizzlers or wherever it might be and right. just figuring out how much you can eat rather than looking yeah. at how to optimize your metabolism. Right. And I still think as, as athletes and even non-athletes lifestyle is that move towards a more low carb, high fat uh, lifestyle there's still a quite a period of time where the person has still got this thing in the back of their mind of, should I really be having this much fat? Mm -hmm. And it, it doesn't come naturally to everyone because we've just had it ingrained of, you know, grains are the bottom of the pyramid and that should be the bulk of the diet. Right. So, uh, there's still this kind of transition and a lot of education still needs to be done on this. We need more companies uh, driving this agenda. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of fear in the space, especially um, big food doesn't help. So that adds yeah. another layer of complication. But if we circle back um, to train, I, I love that you've clarified your definition of the word train, right? Because it is about training your metabolism. So take us through, um, I love that you're talking about that 
eliminating the spiking blood sugars because that's the foundation that I believe people start to experience straight away when they make the switch to the lifestyle. And then obviously that transfers into training and racing. Um, but yeah, I'd love to hear from you around the immune side of things and inflammation so we can kind of pick up all those benefits along the way and sure. explore, explore, yeah, that physiology of becoming a great fat, fat oxidizer. Sure. <clears throat> um, we had a few options, of course. When we initially started the company, we originally built a bar product, like a bar that you would eat. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've, we've since we stopped that and we actually came back out with it. But train was actually the drink train was actually our second product, if you will. And it was very evident that um, fluid as a format for bringing calories and um, electrolyte and other compounds into the body was probably the right format for the majority of these endurance sports. If you get into the true ultras, 100 mile plus, you know, full uh, whole foods, uh, we still believe is a critical piece to that. But coming back to train, um, so we decided um, not to have any carbohydrate in it, more to the perspective that I said earlier around there's just so much variability. If you actually run glucose tolerance testing in all of our products, we actually built them. As, as we built them, we ran glucose tolerance testing to understand how the body would react to this um, in a classic, you know, when you go to a hospital, you have a fasted glucose tolerance test, you typically do the 31-hour, two-hour test of where your blood sugars are at relative to a certain food. And we would do that with these products. And what we found was that any form of a carbohydrate foundation to a trained product, frankly, even a racing product at rest would always have a more than desired spike in blood sugars. And that meant, therefore, your insulin was getting you know, pushed. And then as soon as the insulin goes up, your fat oxidation goes down. So we stepped away immediately from building a trained product on a carbohydrate. We built it on a MCT. Now, most of the MCT, medium chain triglyceride uh, powders in the marketplace, they bind it. It's very cheap to do this. You bind it to a maltodextrin and, you know, you can create a powder, sure, but um, it just is total upside down to what we're trying to achieve here where you're trying to go with low-carb, high-fat, and then you throw a whole bunch of carbohydrate into maltodextrin. So what we did is we worked with our company to actually bind it to a collagen, um, and <clears throat> it's a little bit of protein, but I wouldn't say at all we're trying to make this a protein product as such. Um, so it uses an MCT and of that probably 70% is C8, which is one of the MCTs, which is, um, of, of the various MCTs, it's the one that you can move through the liver and get assimilated very similarly to a carbohydrate would move out of the gut through the liver and then into the, into the circulation. So it's handled very similarly to that. Um, but we don't use a lot. We, we have about, I mean, the total train, a single dose of train is like 60 calories. Well, that's not a lot, um, both in the context of the sport we're talking about. And then secondly, it's not a lot in, as a comparison to other products. Um, our, 
our input with all of that and our thought process with all of that is, look, we absolutely need a hydration product. We certainly, as you get into the greater than two to three hour training sessions, you will need some form of fueling. You obviously can be burning your endogenous uh, fat stores. But what we're trying to do, again, is it's not just about the burning and oxidation of fatty acids in the muscle cell tissue and adipose tissue, etc. What we're trying to also do is teach the body through the liver and through the gut on how to assimilate fat into the blood uh, so that as we get into racing, it understands how to do that. Enzyme systems are set up to handle that efficiently. So as I said earlier, the train product is about training the body to handle fat, not just in the raw oxidation that happens at the um, adipocytes, but also as the um, MCTs, the triglycerides, come through the liver and into the into the bloodstream. We add um, quite a lot of electrolytes, and by a lot, I mean if you look at most products and then you look at our sodium and potassium levels, you'll see that they're really quite high. Uh, part of this is because just by nature of pulling back on your carbohydrates, obviously your sodium count you know, is reduced and you can have some um, serious fluid, fluid loss. So we, we try to um, compensate by having quite a, a high dose of sodium in our product. And then most notably in that we have a very consistent position on this through our products is we have quite high doses of glutamine. And we can talk more about each of these compounds and why we put them in there if you'd like, but that's essentially the summary of it. As I said, no carbohydrate in there, so we just don't trigger the insulin and you're really just setting up the body to switch on um, your fat oxidation uh, capability um, as it as it should happen so uh, we promote using this up to four hours okay and at that point we've got some different approaches which we can talk about mm. yes i wanted to clarify that point actually because um certainly in your quick start guide um your recommendations around using train and when you might add in race plus is relative to intensity and I think that's an important point because certainly if you are doing a really low intensity session, um, that's the perfect session to train that oxidation. Right. Um, but for many athletes, I don't think they're training at the right intensity. Things start to become moderate. When they train with someone else, it might even <laughs> <laughs> moderate to high. Competitive. <laughs> forgetting about the purpose of the training session and things get really messy because they haven't got enough fuel. So yeah. you know, even I, I find that really challenging to, to, to help someone understand the difference in intensity. And so, you know, giving an athlete no carbohydrates for four hours to me is a little bit risky with all due respect, just because they're not going to necessarily stick to the right intensity. So yeah. Yeah. I just want to get your thoughts on that and what you think about yeah, that intensity component. Yeah, so um, if we just step back to what happens uh, at rest and as we increase the intensity and also the duration, um, at rest, um, the only way to get carbohydrate into the cell 
um, actually, I should say the predominant way, and by far the predominant way, is some type of carbohydrate is uh, sensed by the pancreas and then insulin is secreted and then it, the muscle cells and other cells open up and that glucose can flow out of the blood and into the cells. Um, as you begin to... the uh, There is another way to get... Um, the glucose out of the blood supply and into that muscle cell without insulin. And that is essentially exercise. Now, this is where things get not, you know, untextbook like, if you want to call it that. Uh, everyone is different. Generally, our guidance is at one hour um, of, you know, we, we use a rate of perceived exertion in our quick start guide more as a simplified way, but there's certainly more technical ways to do this, as you would well know, Steph. Um, but at that point, at about one to two hours, the muscular contraction, and there's different, there's different science and points of view on this. Some would say that it's the calcium levels in the muscle. Some would say that it's nitric oxide. Some would say it's reactive oxygen species, but these things that are released uh, through muscle contraction can move the glute transporters that sit inside the cell right to the cell edge and open up those channels in the muscle cell and allow uh, glucose to come into the cell without insulin. And the reason I explain all this is it's really important because come back to what we said earlier about the carb, you know, either the night before we have the carb loading dinners or the morning of we have this massive carb fest. What you essentially do by doing that is you have just switched on insulin production and you've just shut down your fat oxidation. What we advise both in training, whether it's um, a training session that will have high intensity training in it, or obviously a race, the first hour should be, um, I mean, obviously we would say use S fuel strain, but even if you use water where you are not doing anything to blunt or slow down, um, the switching on of fat oxidation one and two, you're not doing anything that is triggering uh, insulin to be switched on as you get that one hour plus into the high intensity training or the race. Muscle contractions have obviously been happening. You've released these compounds. The GLUT4 has moved to the cell edge in the muscle cells. Now you have the perfect system where the cell can both take in glucose without insulin and it can oxidize fat. And you now have the ability to, parallel, in parallel, be oxidizing glucose and fat uh, to support um, you know, metabolic flexibility uh, for an athlete. That's exactly where you want to be. So our guidance as per the quick start guide you call out is that um, at about one hour in, you should be starting, to, if it's going to be a high-intensity training or a race, switching from a train formula into a race formula. <laughs> the amount that you use is a bit of a discussion in its own right, but it does come back to how efficient the athlete has been set up in the context of fat oxidation and carbohydrate oxidation, and that again points back to the substrate VO2 max testing that we alluded to earlier. Yeah, I totally agree. Just on that point, when you're talking about the GLUT4 transporters, in the absence of exogenous carbohydrates, are you referring to utilizing your muscle glu glycogen? 
Yeah. So muscle liver glycogen, you know, you can hold what, two, 2000 plus Mm -hmm. um, calories and calories. Um, So, you know, it'll, it'll be using that initially. Um, You've probably most, most, commentators would say you've probably got two to three hours there certainly now testing that's that's where it is again um it's interesting as as a company we've moved out of extremely humid environments in hong kong and singapore to a temperate environment here in north carolina it's amazing to see some how much change you see in some of this data you thought you had right um dramatic shifts but you know you're burning your endogenous um, carbohydrates, and then as you, you're also. By the way, we are all always burning some fat and some carbohydrate. It's just the amount of and the ratio of that shifts relative to intensity. Yeah, for sure, that's an important point. So, a couple of things that I want to circle back to. Um, I am interested in the addition of glutamine because I think a lot of athletes are used to hearing about glutamine in that sort of post-exercise position from a recovery standpoint. Um, So if we stay with, I know it's in both products, but if we just stay with um, train at the moment, um, are there other reasons why you've included this amino acid? Yeah, um, there's two big drivers of it. Um, the first is that with respect to you've just called out, which is more around eccentric, um, eccentric um, contractions and just very commonly create muscle damage, tissue micro damage. Um, glutamine has been shown to effectively um, support that better. Uh, there's some other research we're actually doing on ketones, which we can talk more about also about the ketone, exogenous ketones roles on, for the same reason, uh, another discussion. But um, the second big reason that we really focused on adding glutamine was all around this gut issue. Mm-hmm. And yes. it, um, glutamine is actually extremely well studied and respected in orthodox medicine for um, uh, invalid patients, like long-standing invalid patients in hospitals or um, chronic disease patients in hospitals that are going to be in hospital for a long time. And what happens is they have a lot of this gut breakdown. And they've just done so many studies now on showing what happens to the gut membrane with uh, endurance sport and particularly high heat endurance sport, which typically is triathlon. Um, in terms of uh, endotoxin moving across the gut barrier and into the blood. And glutamine is one of the first choices of treatment in orthodox medicine for gut membrane breakdown. So then they started doing the studies of, you know, the role of glutamine in endurance sport to actually minimize heat-triggered uh, damage to the gut membrane. And, yeah, the, it's even electron microscope photographs of this now. Uh, showing how it can hold that membrane that much better. And this all may sound like, well, why do you have to worry about all of that? Well, (laughs) if you're really looking for uh, consistent training blocks and getting up the next day and repeating the load that you did the day before, if you want to really increase that consistency, looking at all of these factors that – uh, raise the overall uh, load of inflammatory triggers is a really important factor. And 
certainly the feedback from as people have shifted to our trained products, uh, we get a lot of feedback. And part of it is just the move to low-carb, high-fat, just a lot of feedback on just really rapid recovery and the ability to up the load or the uh, frequency of their training blocks um, as a function of that. Yeah, well, that's the inflammation piece, isn't it? I mean, I think... That's what we forget as athletes. A lot of people get so focused on their training and they actually forget when the recovery occurs and you can't train if you don't recover, right? And you can't perform if you don't recover. So that's where we need to be focusing. So bottom line is what goes in your mouth. So certainly getting rid of the inflammatory foods that look like a food pyramid, that look like conventional sports nutrition or triathlon guidelines. But in there, of course, your fueling product needs to complement that. So yeah, glutamine for the gut. I love that you've mentioned that because it's a really well-studied amino acid that um, we use clinically for conditions like leaky gut right. or intestinal right. permeability. And then like top level, it's going to help you absorb your nutrients better. And like that's what you need, right? Whether you're at rest or training or racing. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. No, it's just amazing actually. Uh, we were kind of a little surprised just how much research there was on mm-hmm. it. Yeah how little application they were really putting into um, nutritional, um, you know, sports nutritional products. Yeah, I guess it's just been sold from that post-workout point of view. So it's great. The other um, concept for me that comes to mind is certainly those athletes that don't quite get their fueling right. Um, what we don't want them to do is run that risk of becoming catabolic. So I wonder if you've got any thoughts on, because yeah. you've got collagen in there as well, which is that perfect combination of um preventing the muscle breakdown that we sometimes see with extended fasted training? Yeah. I, we, um, <laughs> we could easily point to the collagen and argue that point. I don't think it, like it wasn't by design that we had it there. And I would be probably dramatizing if I were to say that the collagen amount that we have in the product is sufficient to achieve the, the result we're looking for um so as a as a compound absolutely you're spot on in terms of the use of collagen uh glutamine uh, we believe exogenous ketones um, and obviously whey protein as isolates um, these things certainly have a more anabolic uh, restorative um, capability i think though how they're taken and the amount they're taken is really critical to getting the desired effect. Um, so where, you know, this is an area of product development that we're very close to finishing on. And we'll talk about some more products coming out soon that, um, you know, talk to exactly that point you bring it up. Yeah. Awesome. I appreciate the honesty. Obviously you, as you said, you've used that collagen to bind the MCTs rather than using a, a starch, which is commonly used. Um, yeah. So, yeah, obviously the dose is probably not exactly what we need for the reason, say, right. I would use collagen in someone's um, clinical prescription, but right. yeah, you've still got that glutamine to prevent any catabolic component and then, yeah, really accelerate recovery, which is incredible. Um, we just haven't spoken about the immune piece. So I just wanted to give you the opportunity to share what you've learnt they're from both a lifestyle, so what we've done or what you guys are promoting with the diet and then certainly with your products. I think um, 
it's it's well known both from athletes and then studies that have had on um, athletes who like groups of athletes who have completed these types of races we're talking about and the the finding is is that you know in that two to four week period after these races it's very common to see upper respiratory tract infections um, higher than um, the same athletes in just their general training load so um, something happens in racing and you know certainly i would say also in the heavier part of the season where training loads are high that immune response seems to um seems to be threatened and we didn't initially when we were building products we didn't we weren't thinking about this it's something that we've come to observe and then as we observed it we wanted to understand what it was and where we've landed and i'll be honest it's not like we've ran a gold standard um you know double blind placebo controlled study on this at all but our observations and our our science kind of analysis of this if you look at glucose and if you look at vitamin c um those two compounds are extremely similar in from a molecular perspective point of view um, they both compete for absorption into the cell, but glucose will always be prioritized and preferred. So in the situation of a classic, now I say American diet since I live, I live here, yeah. um, you know, where glucose consumption is so high, um, it is preferably being brought into the cells and particularly obviously as it relates to the immune system, um, white blood cells, etc., um, and the vitamin C is actually deficient at a cellular level um, because of just the overabundance of um, of uh, of glucose. So, converse to that is when we see athletes begin to shift across to a much lower carb. Um, regime that their ability to go through a season without the classic uh, upper respiratory tract infections and particularly see this there's two periods one period is that you're coming out of winter you're getting into spring and you're jumping in the pool and you're starting the season off and as you ramp your training at the start of the season you're starting to also ramp your carbohydrate this is classic um, food, food, food and diet, dietetic approach, they start increasing the carbs. And more often than not, it's a simple carb. And, um, and sure enough, uh, the upper respiratory tract infections begin. And then at some of the big races, you absolutely find several weeks later, you have this um, upper respiratory tract infection. So um, what we think is going on is that as you you know, pull back on the carb and the vitamin C levels are getting back into the cells in a level that is um, functional um, in the spirit of the response of white blood cells to immune uh, resp responses to immune threats, etc. whether that is antibacterials, antiviral capabilities, um, and even, as I say, even just the pure speed of response of the white blood cells, we think is a function of 
they are just, you know, being fed the vitamin C that they fundamentally need to operate effectively. So this is less about a pitch on our product, but it's more about an observation of low carb, high fat um, uh, lifestyle as it relates to endurance sports. So, you know, we're looking at, um, we don't think this needs like a supplement from a, what a picky company. Um, I'm not taking away from the facts that probably most athletes do require some type of ascorbic acid supplementation, but um, I'm just really just highlighting this association, I think, between very high glucose consumption and compromised vitamin C levels in immune, uh, immune cells. Totally. It's complicated, right? There's lots of avenues. Like we know the sugar is going to be releasing the reactive oxygen species, which you briefly right. mentioned before. So it's that automatically we're in that, you know, that pro-inflammatory state and athletes more than anyone, although I still think everyone's goal should be, you know, anti-inflammatory because that's, that's our long-term health that we're looking at performance right. aside. Right. right? So right. I absolutely agree with you. And, um, Certainly, hopefully, when we move to an LCHF template or lifestyle, our focus is actually on plants and then natural vitamin C-rich foods, which right, we actually right. don't find a lot in a food pyramid where um, grains are prioritized. Yeah, you got it. No, spot on. So let's Anyway, that's just our point of view on it. I, I think there'll be more study on it, but um, that's kind of what we're seeing and observing stuff. Yeah, for sure. So interesting and, and, and definitely keen to see more research. Um, wanted to switch gears towards your race plus. I love this product. Um, so many areas to call out, but I'll, I'll hand it over to you first to just share like what, what, why you chose the carbohydrate that you did and we'll go from there. Yeah. So firstly, just going back to what we said earlier, it's kind of sounds a little strange for a low carb, high fat nutrition company to then come out with a product that's got carbohydrate in it. Well, as we just said, this is not a product that we advise to use on a day-to-day basis in the spirit of an everyday drink like a Gatorade or what have you, right? Um, this is by design really aimed at high-intensity training and racing. And typically the high-intensity training happens as you get closer to your, you know, your A races of the season. So, um, and, and what we said earlier was that obviously if you have both systems of oxidation running in parallel um, without one affecting the other, why wouldn't you um, supply the inputs to both of those systems? On the fat, it's easy. You've got 40,000 calories on board. Or more. <laughs> on the, um, you know, maybe some of us more than others, but um, generally speaking, and then on the carbohydrate, like we said, you probably got glycogen stores of any several thousand so therefore in races you know over that two to three hour space um you're definitely going to need to well i should say it this way you don't have to add carbohydrate but as a function of that you will definitely start slowing down if not stop so if you're trying to achieve a result you will need to you know provide both um carbohydrate and fat as you get into those greater than three hour races um we looked at a whole lot of different um forms of carbohydrate and you know 
there's companies been around before us, still are around, like you can, et cetera. They have their proprietary product. Um, we, we were again focused on gut first and um, making sure that the carbohydrate source moved through the gut um, in, from a um, structural perspective like a complex carbohydrate. So what we mean by that, we, we, we shied away from simple sugars in that we know what they were doing to the gut. We, the research showed the issues they were creating in the middle of races. Um, forget about inflammation. That's another subject on that, but just what they were doing in the race itself. So we shied away from using um, glucose, fructose, sucrose, and we shied away from, in fact, we don't use any sugar alcohols across all, any of the products. Um, we landed on this branch chain uh, cyclic dextrin, which is a basically a enzyme treated um, starch uh, complex carbohydrate that's coming out of corn or amylopectin, and um, the reason why is that it has a very interesting characteristic on its uh, molarity, and, the, and it, it it comes through the gut very fast. And by the gut, I'm talking about the stomach. It comes through the stomach very fast. This is important to avoid the whole feeling of nauseousness, which you commonly get around a lot of those simple sugars because the nature, the characteristics of them is that it has to sit in that stomach for quite some time before it gets into the small intestine. So we've, we've, we've chosen that. And then, it, as I said, it, it, it has its characteristic, though, when it gets to the small intestine for absorption is much more like a standard starch. And that is that it doesn't just, you know, dump it all into the blood at once, but it actually has a more bell curve um, absorption into the into the um, into the uh, circulation. So we've we've selected that. We continue with glutamine. We continue with the sodium and the potassium. The only other uh, compound that we add to this is the magnesium diglycinate. And I'm sure in your clinical practice, you'd be well aware that there's many forms of magnesium. Many of them actually create gut problems. In fact, when I was in clinical medicine and naturopathic medicine, there was forms of magnesium you would use with the purpose of being a laxative. Like <laughs> so, oxide. <laughs> yeah. uh, right, right. Mm -hmm. um, whereas um, the diglycinate or the glycinate form, you can actually dose quite high. Um, and actually, again, in clinical practice, the reason why you'd use that form is because you can dose high without gut problems and um, have a clinical uh, response to that. So we've added that by the sheer nature of, again, a lot of research just shows what happens to your magnesium stores in a lot of high-intensity training and racing, and they typically deplete, get depleted. So, mm -hmm. so that's, let me stop there, but that's the kind of spirit of what we created and what's in there and why it's in there. Yeah, awesome. I mean, I said there's so much I love about it. I think this, the starch component is going to make a huge difference. Again, no blood sugar spikes, but of course, yeah, really eliminating that GI distress that's so avoidable. Um, and then kudos for using monk fruit extract. I've not seen it before in a endurance, you know, drink, in a sports fuel. It's even rarely used, um, certainly in many you know keto or low carb products at this stage um and i'm a massive fan of it because we've got to move away from those sugar alcohols and even for some people like 
um, stevia just isn't well tolerated or it's too sweet. Right. It's another issue from a blood sugar point of view, calories aside. So, um, yeah, really happy to see the use of monk fruit extract. Is anyone else doing it or have you guys, you know, gotten it um, at the forefront? I'm sure it's out there. The okay. problem with a lot of the stevia is, is that people think they're using stevia only to, if you really read the fine print, it's a stevia sugar alcohol mix. And um, there's a, at least in the US, there's a stigma around this now. Um, so on one hand, we think that the, the, the taste profile of monk fruit, fruit is far better than stevia. But secondly, um, we wanted just to steer clear of this kind of stigma that's in the market now of you see these packets of stevia being sold in supermarkets and, you know, nine out of ten of them are a little bit of stevia and a bunch of, um, you know, urethritol or other forms of sugar alcohols. And it's just, I don't know, it just feels like false advertising. So. We just steer clear of all of that. I mean, it's the same with some monk fruit products now, unfortunately. If you, if you don't read the, the fine line, like the fine print, you're buying urethritol with a, a drop of monk fruit. So, wow. again, yeah. you've got to turn the packet over and read the label in, the, in that context. Yeah. Um, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. All right, just a couple of things. Like uh, circling back to where we were before, um, you certainly gave us some context around the – um, race, how that first hour you really want to keep your fat oxidation going. So, of course, you wouldn't be adding carbs in at that point in time. And I absolutely agree with you there. Um, and then beyond an hour is where we're starting to look at incorporating race plus. So, do, I know you can't answer the question because you don't know someone's substrate oxidation, but um, could you just give us? a general recommendation for how we'd fuel a half marathon, say if it took us anywhere between two and three hours? Yeah, the the foundation um, advice would be exactly what you just said, that mm-hmm. first hour and then the hours thereafter. Um, to be honest, I think a lot of it for a half marathon, and we, <laughs> we just actually had a show, we were at the expo at the Miami Marathon, and, you know, as marathon as a participatory sport moved to offering on the same race day marathons and half marathons, it's attracted a whole new breed of athletes where I'm not sure that nutrition is high on the agenda and maybe even training isn't high on the agenda yeah, either. I totally so agree with the party. I, I think you can possibly fake, um, you can fake and get through a half marathon without a lot of a lot oh, yeah. of support, but if you're starting to get into the three hour, the two hour, the one and a half hour, and quicker, um, you you do have to start thinking about some of these things. I, I do think, like you know, good fat oxidation efficiency probably starts at you know a gram a minute, and the best is somewhere probably between one three and one four. And there's there's actually some debate as you get into one five and above whether you actually begin to have some carbohydrate inefficiencies. But mm. um, I'd agree with that. You know, at at one two one three or even at one gram a minute, you know, so you're now talking seven hundred you know calories an hour. Um, you've already got 2000 on board. If you have to, if you're burning 700, so you've got two to three hours on board. So I think it really comes down to just having good clarity through your training on what your duration is going to be. And obviously the course, um, profile, the heat of the day, all of these things are factors. Um, but if it's likely that you're going to be in that 
two to three hour space, you're probably going to have to take something, um, you know, like a race bus or, or equivalent. And then the number of serves per hour, how do you advise on that? Because obviously they're not that high in carbohydrate from yeah. um, if we look at a standard product. Um, yeah. <laughs> I've forgotten, is it 15 grams per serve? Yeah, we get a lot of questions over this. And actually, mm-hmm. it's funny, we actually had a customer early on where they looked at the whole bag of the product. They said, I, when I buy whatever the other product they were carbohydrate by product they were buying, they said, how come the other product is like, twice the physical size as yours. I said, well, this is the point that mm. fat has, you know, nine Double calories per gram, <laughs> right? You don't have to carry as much on your I race. And the penny dropped, right? Yeah, yeah. Dropped. <laughs> anyway, coming back to your question, um, like, look, again, it's relative to a person's oxidation efficiency, but in the quick start guide, and again, we'll give you the link to that and folks can download it, but we talk between one and one to two race sachets an hour, and that covers a fairly broad range of fat oxidation efficiency. Um, you know, if you start getting, if, you, if an athlete feels they have to take more than that, you probably want to start double-clicking on what are they really doing in training to switch on the fat oxidation because by math, they probably they shouldn't need it now i would yeah. I would say this is true um, for races you know like up to ironman i i would I really debate this for multi day ultras um, because there's a lot of other factors that are switching on for a multi day ultra um, particularly central governor and lack of sleep and a whole mm-hmm. bunch of these things that are causing you know challenges so anyway one to two uh, sachets per hour um, and when you're in that second and third or fourth, fifth, depending on the nature of the race, um, hour of the race. So I totally agree with you. But as you can imagine, what 30 grams of carbs an hour is to someone who's been doing 90, because that would be the recommendation if they've been doing, you know, one gram per kilogram body weight, which is what we see flying yeah. around everywhere. That's 85 yeah. or 90 grams of carbs per hour for a lot of our male athletes at least. Um, and so dropping them down to 30 is, um, hard to wrap their head around. Let's just say, (laughs) well, we, um, Dave, Dave Scott does a good job on this. He kind of says that, you know, um, low carb, high fat doesn't start on race day. A hundred percent. And you really got to be, you know, building this. And I'm sure you've had other podcasts talking about, it takes some time to, to, to get these systems switched on. So the numbers I'm giving is for an athlete that you know has been compliant to you know switching on their efficiency of fat oxidation and you know again just I I don't like I, there is a very real cost to getting the substrate testing done but um, I think it's really important just to really understand what that is and how you're improving in that area. Yeah. Totally agree especially because as you would know a lot of athletes in the space are using the math formula, love yep. Phil Maffetone, a good friend of mine. I think the 180 minus your age, you know, can be great, a great place to start. But as someone who's done a lot of the testing, the substrate utilization testing, I see way too many variations by 20 or 30 beats per minute. And that completely then yeah. means yeah. that what Puts you're off. training, yeah, way off. So yeah. personal data is king. Actually, um, I know Dan, um, Dan is running, Dan Plews is on uh, his Endure IQ program. They have some online calculators. So, mm-hmm. like, 
you know, there's a gradient between ultimately what you'd love to do is go and get the full test done and then doing some math. And then there's these calculators in the middle that I think help provide maybe a little bit more clarity. It's probably worth um, taking a look at some of those. Maybe get Dan on the show sometime. Yes, I must do that. Thank you so much. So I just want to give you the space to sort of add anything else that you'd like to share or to simply direct um, myself and the listeners today as to where we can find out more. I think we covered a fair bit, right? Um, the uh, just, just we did touch on the gut area well. Um, you know, one area that Dan gets a lot of questions about with his Kona race is, hey, you talk about 50 grams an hour. Um, why that? And his point was that as you get into 50 and 60, you begin to get very high risk of gut distress issues that'll shut down your race. And the reason he brings that out is that a lot of athletes translate fatigue in the post four hour um, segment of any of these races, meaning it can be from the fifth hour to the 12th hour or what have you. Um, they translate that fatigue as a lack of fuel. And yeah. it is, that is not the problem but they keep pouring in the fuel and next thing you know, they've shut down their race. So I would just kind of, you know, put a period on this kind of gut comment around that is, you know, if you feel that you need to start, you know, getting close to those numbers, you're probably not oxidizing your fats well enough yet. Yeah. I love that point. So again, going back to the foundations and taking the time, like taking the time to be, um, become, at least a better fat oxidizer, knowing that the journey can be two years or longer, you know, to get it really right, to dial right in. Sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah, well, thanks for having us on. And, yeah, I mean, we've got a bunch of content up there at sfuelsgolonger.com and um, we'll give you a bunch of links that have our, you know, video content and some of the quick start guides that folks and your listeners can download when they want. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and your wealth of knowledge. Thanks again. Great to be on. Thanks again, Steph. Thank you so much for listening, team. Make sure you dive into the show notes over at thenaturalnutritionist.com.au forward slash podcast. Now, before you go, can I ask you a favor? I'd be so grateful if you would leave me a five-star review on iTunes. I personally read every review and comment and love hearing your aha moments and takeaways from each episode. Together, we can continue to spread the real food love. See you next time on The Real Food Reel. This has been a production of TheWellnessCouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on Facebook.com forward slash TheWellnessCouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.